0: Good morning, Outlook family. Sure is good to see everyone this morning. Wasn't that a great story from Becca? Man, I really appreciated that. Yeah, you can give it up for her. That's awesome. Absolutely. Loved her sharing that story. I uh, also want to then piggyback on that and reinforce what you heard um, her and Kate say about today's spiritual gifts seminar. If you haven't had a chance to sign up, there's still room for you. And uh, feel free to just come up to the loft after worship this morning. Uh, and we'll have a good time, spend about an hour looking, about, looking at that important subject of our spiritual gifts. Well, I'm glad we're all together this morning, whether you're here with me in the room or we're together online. I'm really looking forward to jumping in to God's Word. And I, I need to begin with a confession here, uh, or maybe just an insight about me. I love pizza. I really do. Um, I see a pizza box, I want to open it, I want to eat whatever's inside, right? Uh, four happiest words, some, four, at least of the happiest words that uh, you can say to me is, "Let's order a pizza." That, just, that tells me a good time is about to happen, and those are happy. Pizza is a happy thing to me. Um, today, we're going to let Jesus challenge us regarding our hungers and what we're hungry and thirsty. Four In this series, we are looking at the eight opening statements of Jesus in his famous Sermon on the Mount. Each of these are proclamations of blessing, descriptors of the people who will enjoy and experience life in his kingdom. And here to read for us the fourth beatitude from various biblical translations is Andrew Bolt, a freshman at Mount Vernon High School. Let's give it up for Andrew. There you are, sir. Thank you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. God blesses those people who want to obey him more than to eat or drink. They will be given what they want. Blessings on people who hunger and thirst for God's justice, you're going to be satisfied. Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. God will fully satisfy them fully. Happy are those who hunger, who are hungry and thirsty for goodness, for they will be fully satisfied. Happy are those who long to be just and good, for they shall be completely satisfied. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God makes happy those who are hungry and thirsty for what is right and good. They will be filled. Awesome. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate that. Powerful beatitude this morning that we're going to be looking at, the idea that we hunger and thirst for righteousness and Jesus promises those who have that hunger will be filled. Now, we've been noticing as we've moved through each of the beatitudes so far, we're reaching our halfway point here that kingdom life is a treasure and that's what Jesus is describing here in the Beatitudes. life in his kingdom it's like a jewel we made this comparison last week and each beatitude is a facet of that jewel so to speak so we started with poverty of spirit forsaking pride and we begin to turn it a little bit and the light hits it in a new way and we also begin to see it includes mourning we leverage the pain that comes to us. Last week we talked about then meekness. In those postures we now reject power and the anger that so often comes along with it. And now today we look at hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Now author N.T. Wright in his book Simply Jesus talks about the Beatitudes and he says this, the Beatitudes are the agenda for kingdom people. They are not simply how to behave so that God will do something nice to you. They are about the way in which Jesus wants to rule the world. He wants to do it through this sort of people. In this case, people who are hungering and thirsting for him to do so. So let's start by unpacking this word, righteousness. Now, to our ears, when we hear that word in our own culture and language, you might be quick to put the word self right in front of it, right? When you hear righteousness, you think of self-righteousness. And all of us would agree that that's not a good thing. In fact, Jesus would agree with that too. His harshest words were reserved for self-righteous people. But that is not what Jesus is talking about when he asks us, of course, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. In the original Greek, the word is dekeosune, and I say that because sometimes when a word is translated from one language to another, and in this case, every time we read our New Testament from Greek into our own English, here uh, it's important to recognize that when one language deals with its words, it's not always exactly the same way another language does. And so, in this case, we're going to unpack uh, often in in uh, in the Greek language, and in many other languages, uh, a word, you can think of a word as almost like a stuffed suitcase. Like, this suitcase has a lot of, 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 of meaning in it. This word has deep meaning in it. And so when people heard that word, they associated all the richness or the facets of the meaning of that word. Whereas we might just be quick to associate kind of a one-to-one, it only means this one thing, and we think of it more like a math equation, right? This word equals only this. But now we're going to open the suitcase and go go back to how Jesus' original hearers would have understood that original word. And there are at least three things that immediately are a part of this word that Jesus uses that we translate here as righteousness. You might notice that some of the translations that uh, Andrew um, read from translated the same word as justice, very common. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So first, this righteousness speaks to a right relationship with God receiving justification. It speaks to living right and well, being a righteous person, being a just person, rightness and right living. And also thirdly, it speaks about setting right what's wrong, seeing justice done. So we're going to look at all three of these here. Let's begin with the first one, enjoying right relationship with God or receiving justification. Now, this is the beginning of all good things this is part of the word that cannot be skipped a step that cannot be missed this is the beginning of all good things receiving christ's justification through his death on the cross his resurrection his grace by our faith in romans chapter 1 it says this good news tells us how god makes us right in his sight that's a way of describing this long kind of theological word justification to be made right before god to be in right relationship with him this is accomplished from start to finish it says by faith as the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life in the gospel the righteousness of god is revealed makes it possible is given to us through the good news of Jesus. And it says here, as one translation puts it, the just will live by that faith. Romans chapter 10, we read these familiar words, perhaps. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth, that you profess and are saved. This is a way of describing what God wants in every single human life, to be in right relationship with you. You're not an accident. You're not an afterthought. He designed you. He knows you. He made you. He loves you, no matter what. And He wants more than anything to have a right relationship with you, to be in line with you, to have those lines open between you and Him. And He's provided a way to do that through Christ and His cross let me encourage you to hunger and thirst for this. Now, when we say yes to Jesus, pardon me, it doesn't make all our problems go away, right? Can I get an amen? But I'll tell you what I've discovered. It does make the source of many of my problems go away because the source was me and my own dysfunction, right? My own wrong thinking, and so that leads us to point number two. As we receive this justification as a gift from God, not because of anything we've done or earned, but because of Jesus on the cross and how much God loves us, as we receive that justification, we, then, we begin to live right and well. Not right as in better than someone else. It's not the right I'm talking about. Right is in healthy and whole and well. And we become just people in our character. As we receive the grace of Christ, it washes over us, and it washes us. It changes us. Our motivations are made new. Just a little bit later in this same chapter of, of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says something that blew people's minds, and it probably blows our minds a little bit when we read it. It goes like this. He says, he says to those who are listening to him, for I tell you that unless your righteousness' surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. These are the religious leaders. These are the experts. These are the guys that would seemingly have it all nailed down, right? You will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now man, if you're listening, hearing that for the first time, you're like, what are you talking about? If anyone's getting in, it's going to be these guys, right? They spend their whole life studying the scriptures. They're all about following the rules. Their behavior just seems to be perfect. And then they spend most of their time telling us how, we, how we're getting it wrong. And they're trying to make us better. They're the, but that righteousness sours into self-righteousness. And it's not what Jesus is looking for. He's not looking for the religious adherence that everyone thought was going to get you straight A's on God's report card. He's looking for the new heart, the new mind, the new life that He plants in us. That's why He's saying that you're going to get a righteousness that's actually going to uh, supersede and, and, and be greater than those who you think right now are the most righteous of all. You're going to be more righteous than them because Jesus is redefining the Word. He's making it clear that this righteousness is going to come from me, and I'm going to give you an appetite for truly good, right, true living simply because it's God's good way, and you love it, and you see the wisdom of it, and it begins to grow in you. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul put it like this. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in what? True righteousness and holiness. Not this outside righteousness that makes everyone else kind of sick to be around you, right? Not this kind of righteousness that makes you look down on everyone else, or this kind that puffs you up with pride, because look man, look at all the right things I'm doing, or look at the way I've got it down. No, this true righteousness, that is, if you think about what we've learned so far, poor in spirit, meek, and mourning, understanding what my sin has done to put Jesus on that cross. Then it is at that point we hunger and thirst for what Paul is calling true righteousness, which is this life that simply says, I want to live submitted to God and let Him live His life through me. we hunger and thirst for that because it's so good. I just simply want to live a life that's solid and healthy as a person. I want to be able to love others well. I want to navigate life as it comes to me in a way that's fruitful and useful and joyful. That's the kind of righteousness, so to speak, that Jesus is talking about. The kind of rightness that sets us in a good and growing place. Celebrate Recovery is a Christ-centered 12-step ministry that we've loved having here as a part of our ministry here at Outlook for many years now. Celebrate Recovery uh, has groups all over the globe and has changed countless lives, and it is actually built around, their steps are built around the Beatitudes that we're studying right now. Steps six and seven are tied to the Beatitude we're looking at today. And so if you were to go to a Celebrate Recovery gathering, and you're welcome to any Monday night here at Outlook at seven o'clock, or 6.30 if you want to grab some food, every Monday night you will hear everyone at Celebrate Recovery say these words, among many others, together in unison when they reach this beatitude. I will voluntarily submit to any and all changes God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. Now friends, that's real, right? That's discipleship in its truest sense. This idea that I will, of my own volition, submit to God all the things that he might want to change about me. Let's face it, is there anyone here today who would say, hmm, you know what? I bet when God looks at me, he's pretty pleased. Probably doesn't want to change a thing. Doesn't want to change a thing. I got this thing, Right? No one would feel that way, right? And we would all admit that pretty freely, right? Yeah, God looks at me. He's probably got a thing or two. He'd love to see me get a little bit more mature in. A couple things I'm doing to hurt myself or others. He probably would love to see me stop, right? It's one thing to agree with that. It's another thing to come out and say it on a steady basis. I will voluntarily submit to any and all changes God wants to make in my life and humbly ask Him to remove my... Character defects? Do I have character defects? Are you kidding me? What? Right? But we do, right? Just ask someone who knows you. They'll let you know, right, what they are. Submitting those to God, because it's more important to grow in Him than to maintain my own sense of pride or or my own uninjured ego, right? I hunger and thirst for His righteousness instead this aspect of righteousness as well. Not just being justified before him so I can go to heaven, which is a miracle uh, beyond measure and, and, a, and, a, and a treasure that is, 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 you could spend your whole life praising him for, amen? And yet also, this aspect of righteousness says, now I want to follow him and I want to be more like him. I want to put on the new self, made in true righteousness, as Paul said. And this leads us to then a third aspect of righteousness, setting right what's wrong doing justice in the world. Biblically, these first two tend to lead to the third as you look at them throughout the Scriptures. The word righteousness and justice are paired together constantly in the Scriptures. And like I mentioned earlier, both words can really be translated both ways. In Psalm 11, it says this about the Lord. He is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. It's a bit of a preview of partly uh, a beatitude we'll hear uh, soon. Psalm 106 echoes, or, or really this beatitude echoes Psalm 106. How happy are those who uphold justice, who practice righteousness at all times? Proverbs 16 reminds us better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. So when Jesus' original hearers heard him say, De They heard both righteousness and justice. Those themes would have rung in their ears together. They would have linked those. And the prophet Isaiah said about the Messiah that he would be all about righteousness and justice. And Jesus is certainly reinforcing that in this Beatitude. In Isaiah 16, we read, In love, a throne will be established. Isn't that good? Not in power as in power over others, not in usurping authority, not in bullying, not in takeover, but in love, a throne will be established. That's our King. That's our Messiah. In faithfulness, a man will sit on it, one from the house of David, one who in judging seeks justice and speeds the cause of righteousness. I love that phrase. Speeds the cause of righteousness. And so here's the flow for you and me. Having received uh, Christ uh, and being justified by God through Christ and His cross, the grace that is given from there and our faith to believe it and to receive it, we then begin to live according to His wisdom, healthier, more sane, and solid lives. And then from that new position, we begin to see the world and all its pain and dysfunction and cruelty and disregard, and we then hunger and thirst. We long to see it healed and fixed. We want to see justice done. Biblically speaking, justice is defined simply as setting things right, putting back in alignment what is broken. See, sin has broken our whole world including you and me. It runs right down the middle. Lines of injustice run right through us all. Justice is simply putting things right, starting in us and then whatever our love and service can do for others in this world. We set back in alignment what's broken and what's breaking people in its process. We all can feel it. That sense that the world is not all that it should be or could be or ought to be, right? Justice is more than just a trending topic in our current culture. Its work has belonged to God's people since the beginning. But sometimes, if we stop and reflect, it does seem like the world hungers and thirsts for it more than we do. This is where we have so much to learn from those who have suffered injustice. Who hungers and thirsts for justice more than the one from whom it has been most withheld? I think, as Jason uh, led us in prayer earlier, I think of our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. You've probably been keeping up on the story. I recently watched a video of Christians who were praying in a subway station as attacks proceeded over their heads on the streets. You've probably seen similar videos. We need to keep our brothers and sisters in prayer for that whole situation as well. Hunger and thirst for right and good things to be done. In people's lives and for and on behalf of hurting people. Jesus says it's a blessing to hunger and thirst for all of these aspects of righteousness for God, for godliness, and for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, as Jesus taught us to pray. Here's really good news. Our righteousness is not the requirement for this blessing. Amen. It's our hungering and thirsting for it. That is wonderful news. I can't manufacture this on my own, right? I can't, through my own blood, sweat, and tears, white knuckle my way toward the kind of righteousness that we're unpacking here in this beautiful word. But what I can do, and what Jesus is calling me to do, and perhaps what we could say is through this word, Jesus is calling all of us to do, is hunger and thirst for it. I know a tremendous shift in my own spiritual life occurred when I began to hunger and thirst for God, for who He is, simply for who He is, relishing in the fact that I could be counted as His child and to just be with Him as He is with me. And that was enough, that was sufficient, not just for what He could do for me, as in getting me to heaven, so to speak, after I die, or what He could do even through me in ministry or giving my life some sense of significance, but thirsting and hungering and being satisfied and just who He is with me and to me. If anything, this morning in Jesus' words here can be a call to slow down and be with God. It's the only thing that really matters. To pull up to His table and feast at it. And listen, no matter your age, no matter what stage of life we're all in, this is a relevant word but, but I have to say, when I reflect on my own life, I, I, if you're a student with us this morning, if you're in middle school or high school, it's easy for, to think that these are the kinds of things that yeah, I'll get around to that or that's something that I'll do when I'm, a, when I'm an adult, I'll take that more seriously. It's, and a lot of people tell us when we're middle school and high school students, you're few, you have such a bright future ahead of you. But I want to tell you right now, your future is today. And if you're, if you're online or you're with me here in the room, I just want to say and testify that the decisions I made for Jesus as a middle schooler and a high schooler changed my life, set the trajectory of the rest of my life. Don't put it off. And in fact, I'm telling you, your investment today in falling in love with Jesus, of giving yourself to him and his cause, of being captivated by the beauty of his truth, you will look back and realize you could, you should have done it even sooner. Because you will spend, you can spend your whole life pursuing his mission and unpacking the beauty of his truth, and you will look back and say it still wasn't enough time. There is so much goodness and richness in a life of following Jesus, and I just want to encourage you, no matter your age, don't think this is something you can just or should just put off till later. God can mightily use every single one of us starting today as we hunger and thirst for him to do so. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. So if you're a middle school or high school student, especially, let me tell you, give your life to him in a new and fresh way, maybe for the first time, or maybe just in a renewed way, hunger and thirst for it. You will find satisfaction. The world promises all kinds of things that you think might be satisfying, they are not. Only Jesus is. Fulfillment is found there. Hungering after Christ more than riches, or acclaim, or success by any standard. Hunger for Him. I remember an instance when I experienced what, I, uh, what it felt like to be genuinely and deeply thirsty, at a physical level. And I think about this whenever I think of this subject. When I was 20, uh, I took a trip to the Darien jungle of Panama. We hiked to remote villages and then shared the gospel there. We partnered with a missionary. We didn't just airdrop in and start walking around. You know, we, 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 uh, this, guy, this guy knew where to go and what to do. He'd been there for several years at that point. We partnered with a missionary there. It was an incredible experience. But as you can imagine, it was hot. I've never experienced heat and humidity like that before or since. During one especially long hike, and this was kind of early in the trip, most of us drank our canteens dry too soon. We were thirsty. We reached a river, and after our host told us that there were fewer alligators here than in the average river, and the water was technically, comparatively okay to drink, We simply jumped in with our mouths open. I've probably had some sort of intestinal worm ever since. Who knows what I ingested while I was in there? Who knows? But I do think of that kind of thirst when I think of this subject and when I read things like Psalm 63 and passages like it. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is... No water. Friends, we're talking about the appetite of our souls. And Jesus knows that we all have such an appetite. And the satisfaction that we need, only He can give. Every human soul is hungry. Yours and mine. In John chapter 4, we read about Jesus talking to a woman at a well. they're talking about being thirsty. And they're talking about living water, as He calls it. And he explains to her, the water I give them, anyone who will come, he says, will be in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He's talking about the Holy Spirit in us. He's talking about the fact that we all have a spiritual thirst, and that spiritual thirst only can be quenched by the indwelling Holy Spirit in us, which he freely gives. Please, the woman said, give me this water, she said, right? That sounds like a great deal. I want all of that water, as much as you'll give what do I hunger and thirst? These are the kinds of questions that we should ask. What drives me? What bothers me by its lack? In other words, what makes my soul grumble the way my stomach might growl when I'm hungry? What leaves me in a state of dissatisfaction until I receive that which I'm longing for? What We all have all kinds of appetites and desires and even things we think are needs, but what do I really need? And is vital connection with Jesus even on the list? I'm sure it is. And is it at the top? What we've learned so far in these Beatitudes is that in poverty of spirit we come. Looking around, we mourn. Living with others, we're meek. And now walking in this world, we yearn. We hunger and thirst. We long for that which is right and good and often we're starving for it. Man, I know that when I see a pizza box, I only want to do one thing, right? Open it and eat whatever's inside. But how easy for it is... How easy is it for us to see our Bibles, leave them closed, not consuming with that same hunger and thirst, what's inside? As we wrap up this morning, Jesus promises that those who have this hunger and thirst, they'll be filled. The original word speaks of being stuffed, right? Leaning back from the table, totally satisfied. We know that there are hungers in us that are never quite fulfilled sometimes. Hungers perhaps for companionship or hungers for a certain amount of earthly justice or, 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 uh, or things being set right. There are all kinds of things that this world will leave us not totally satisfied. Jesus never will. The justification that we long for, He provides. The ethic that we know we need to live by, He teaches. The mission to set the world right, He gives leads us in. These are all the aspects of righteousness that he gives us that fulfill us. There's a great moment after Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. The, rabbi, uh, the, the disciples come up to him and say, Rabbi, eat something. They'd gone in the town to buy lunch. They now see him. They urge him to have some food that they brought. He said to them, I have food to eat you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have ordered him a pizza? Right? I mean, that would, have been, that would have been a happy thing, right? Could someone have brought him food, they ask. And this is what Jesus says. And man, this phrase has stuck with me my whole adult life. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That was his satisfaction. In the end, he knew that that was all that mattered. And that, that's what he was there for. He said, don't bother me with lunch right now. I'm full. I'm full. And he, wants to, he promises us that same fulfillment. The Christian does not say, I'm interested in Christ, but for me to live as Christ. We don't come to terms or make an arrangement with Christ. We surrender to Him. We jump in, mouths, hearts, and lives wide open. Friends, I'm calling you today to discover or rediscover the beauty and truth of following Jesus for yourself. Say yes to Him today. Let's pray about that. Lord, we thank you for the beautiful truth that is contained in just these few words. You see right into us. And you see how hungry we are, in the end truly hungry. And we know, Lord, that you can fill us, you can fulfill us, you can satisfy us. So, Lord, we come to you in all of our faults and flaws and all our weaknesses. You know every you know every one of them. More than we And you love us relentlessly and fully anyway. Thank you for that. Fill us, Lord. Stoke our hunger and our thirst. In Jesus' name, amen.